0: This is Laura DeCook, the naturalist for the Mahaska County Conservation Board, and welcome to the Prairie Farm Podcast.
1: I'm Doug Duran, a landowner, trying to be a conservationist.
0: I'm Tabitha Panis, president of the Iowa Prairie Network. I'm Ryan Callahan,
2: director
1: of conservation at Meat Eater.
0: Angela from Axe and Root Homestead. Chris
2: Helzer, the Nebraska director of science for the Nature Conservancy. I'm Judd McCollum from Working Class Bowhunter. Taylor Keene, founder of Sacred Seed. I'm Ryan Bryson, of Bryson Wildlife. This is Luke Fritch. This is James Holtz. Joy Van Weingarten. Sam Soholtz. Phil Ebert. Julie Meechin. And you are listening to The Prairie Farm. The Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm. Prairie Farm Prairie Farm
1: podcast Prairie Farm podcast Welcome to the Prairie Farm podcast. Well, in a previous life, I was a teacher. I was a science teacher for eight years. Seven long time ago. (laughs) I think. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I remind myself of when I'm working with Nicholas is that he was. I didn't. I I didn't work at Nicholas's school, but he would have been. I think a senior my first year of teaching. And so I taught my first seven years in at the high school level. And so had I been at Nicholas's school, I could have uh, you know, been one of his teachers. Yeah. And now, and now we're
2: uh, reluctant peers. It's a good time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now we work together. We travel uh, all over the Midwest for podcasts and for trade shows and for planting and uh, selling prairie seed. That's what we do. That's right. And we work with this common... Uh, I guess objective you could say or mission of wanting to get more prairie on the midwestern landscape of course at one time uh, the midwest uh, the the big agricultural states were largely prairie not only prairie but largely prairie and uh, this episode you're listening to now is actually going to contain bits and pieces of our larger project our larger podcasting project that we're working on which is the pre- the Prehistoric Prairie Series. Man, that's hard to say.
2: And if you are listening to this and haven't listened to the series yet, we highly recommend going back, listening to the series. Uh, I mean, you can listen to this first, but.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, that's dessert before supper. You know, you, you got you to gotta eat supper <laughs> first to get your dessert. So, so uh, no, uh, we do recommend, though, that you go back, listen to the whole series, and this episode will have deeper meaning to you we are, we are sure. So, uh, but we're here and, uh, we're here because I met Laura and it's hard not to refer to her as a Ranger Laura. And I'll explain that in a second here through teaching. Um, I, uh, remember, Oh, it would have been summer of 21. Uh, my family had just moved to this area from uh, where we used to live, which is about two hours away from here. And, uh, uh, I knew of this uh, co- the conserva- the county conservation environmental learning center uh, from driving by it many times, and uh, I would drive to this area to visit my grandparents. And I was like, "Man, I really want to stop there sometime." But you know, it's just you're just trying to get home or get to their house type of thing. Well, then we moved here, and I was like, "All right, we're taking the kids. We're gonna go see what this environmental learning center is all about." And we were blown away the second we walked through the doors. Very nice facility here we we'll get some more information on that in a second, but we were introduced to Ranger Laura, our guest, Laura DeCook, uh, the Mahaska County naturalist, and um, uh, she was awesome. She showed my kids a lot of cool things and and uh, showed us a book that we're going to talk about here in a little bit that she uh, uh, authored and. Um, uh, we talked about the Mahaska County Mammoths, which is what this, the focus of this episode is. It's part of our first episode in the, the docu-series that Nick and I were just talking about. And uh, when, So after we met, I invited Ranger Laura to come into my classroom when I was a science teacher in the area, and uh, she did a presentation on uh, the, Ma- the Mahaska County Mammoths.
2: Also, can we just take a pause? I yeah. don't know. I don't know how PC we're trying to be here, but, uh, so in Mahaska County, there's a school district and this school district's mascot is the Indians. I'm not ragging on that. Just saying there are a lot of sports teams that are changing their names. And, uh, if they change their name, they, it will be a great sadness to my heart if they are not the Mahaska County mammoths from now on. Yeah.
1: Or even just the Oskaloosa mammoths would be cool too. But yeah, man, what a what a what a cool uh, mascot that'd be. But, anyways, the uh, so I had Ranger Laura come into my classroom. She presented on the mammoth. She also uh, brought a bunch of other critters that the kids love to see. Uh, I think uh, one or two snakes and a turtle, and uh, uh, just a, a wonderful resource here in Mahaska County, and for the, the local school districts here in the county that they get to learn from somebody so passionate about not only their work but outside of their work just being an outdoors person and i think that is so critically important for students to tie into that you know they get sports thrown at them they get um you know different academic pursuits or they get music but a lot of kids do not really have pushed towards them a you know pastimes that are based on being in nature, and so I think it's it's a critically important role that uh, Laura plays here in in our community. But uh, she also gave me the c- coolest gift I was ever given as a teacher. She brought to my class a, uh, a piece of uh, mammoth bone, and uh, that was something that I prized. Now, because it was a gift to the classroom, when I left. I begrudgingly left it behind with a you know specific instruction. I even bought a little display case for it and uh, gave specific instructions. Make sure this is taken care of and you know ab- observed by the students regularly, so they can you know see how cool uh, this is and a part of their own community. So uh, that was a really cool gift that was given to me, and uh, so we're just honored today to be able to have Ranger Laura on the Prairie Farm Podcast, talking about some more of her work with the mammoth, but also just in general as the county naturalist. So, Laura, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today.
0: Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here with you, and that's a very nice introduction. Thank you.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah, and it's I owe you. You gave me a piece of uh, mammoth bone, so I I definitely had to at least say some nice (laughs) words in return. But, no, it's true, all true. You do an excellent job. Um, uh, I've gotten to even help with... Uh, One event that Laura put on, which is a, it happens every fall. So if you're listening to this and you are from the area, make sure you go to the Outdoor Days. Uh, What's the name of that event again?
0: It's the Youth Outdoor Days, Youth Outdoor Field Days. Okay, Youth Outdoor
1: Field Days. And they, uh, so Mahaska County Conservation Board, do they own Russell Wildlife? Yeah, it's
0: one of our county parks. And Youth Outdoor Field Day is held the last Saturday of September every year.
1: Yeah, it's an excellent event. Uh, They have uh, fishing, they have uh, uh, 22 rifle shooting, they have fossil digging, they have uh, water safety courses, and I think even a few other things that I'm forgetting right now, but it's it's a ton of fun. It's a really cool area, too. It's kind of unique uh, uh, geology, I guess you could say. I don't know if that's the right term here, but unique geographic features as far as, uh, or geologic features as far as like, uh, kind of, uh, sandy area, but some like fossil marine yeah. fossil deposits and
0: yeah, Russell so. wildlife used to be a rock quarry.
1: Okay. So it's mm. a
0: reclaimed area. Wow. And we have five ponds there mm-hmm. that used to be home to our, our, uh, offices, our conservation center.
2: How long ago was it a rock quarry?
0: Oh, I believe that was back in the 70s. Mm. Oh wow. So, it's it's been a great place and it's still a wonderful place for oh, the public yeah. to go out and explore and hike and hunting there and a lot of outdoor opportunities.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a really fascinating place and I like that it's in the middle of nowhere, too. You know, like a lot of times county parks are you feel like you have one foot in town, one foot you know, out out in nature, but this one you're you gotta. It's surrounded by gravel. <laughs> you gotta go. You gotta <laughs> yes. drive on some gravel to get there. You gotta earn it a little bit, and I like that about it. So it's a really cool place. Ranger Laura plays a critical role in the no, activities. It's
2: not Ranger Laura. It is, is it? Ranger
1: Laura. I yeah. thought
2: you said it wasn't anymore. No, it is. But you said you had a hard time not Nick calling stayed
1: up too late last night, dude. <laughs> guys, I am tired today. Ranger
0: Laura is fine. That's what they game is. call that's me.
1: How, at that's how I know her. <laughs> She's she is known by most people around here as Ranger as Laura. Ranger yes. Laura.
2: Okay, so it's your it's your like it's, it's kind of like my Nick Okay. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, I, I should say Ranger Laura spends a lot of time in the schools. Not just like that wasn't just one off thing where you know oh you know creative teacher thought let's bring the county naturalist in." that's a big part of her job Hmm. she's doing stuff with either i mean she leads field trips outside of school Uh, she'll bring stuff into the school she comes in on last minute notice a lot of times uh, puts together all sorts of programs for kids at school so when i said like it's it's an important role she plays it really is and some of these kids only tie to the natural world so Hmm. uh, it's a Ranger Laura is a well-earned, uh, uh, there. well earned title. Well, thanks.
0: Them. You know what? The, my job is is a wonderful job to have, and even though kids aren't outside as much as they used to be, mm-hmm. they're drawn to it, mm. yeah. and in ways that there is so much excitement from their part to be able to go on a hike, to exploring nature outside, learning new things. They they crave it, and mm-hmm. so it's so fun to be a part of getting mm. them connected to the outdoors.
2: Man, that is really cool. And, and the, the thing is, if when you're a kid, you do not have someone like Ranger Laura coming to your school and teaching you about it, then uh, two bozos have to spend thousands of dollars starting a podcast to teach you about it as an adult. (laughs) And and I'm I'm pretty sure uh, Ranger Laura is better at it. (laughs) You know what? I do have to
0: say we're very fortunate living here in Iowa because of our county conservation system. Yes. Mm. And basically every county has a naturalist or someone that can, can come into the classrooms and mm. put on public events for people.
2: And that's a state thing. So that's an Iowa
1: state that's thing. An, that's not a federal that's,
0: thing. No, it's Iowa County system. Hmm. Yep.
1: Yeah, it, it is a really wonderful thing. I, um, you know, when you look at Iowa and, and that's partly why we have this podcast, things have changed so much here from a natural standpoint kind of gone through different waves of change really um that it would almost seem like there's no care for conservation here but uh historically three of the biggest names in american conservation uh, so i mean that's really a concept that's come up over the probably not even the last hardly 100 years just over 100 years kind of teddy roosevelt john muir were some of the first guys talking about this and that was like the early 1900s but since that time iowa has been home to three of the greatest conservationists in american history uh aldo leopold born in uh, burlington iowa um uh ding darling who lived and worked in des moines for a long time he worked for the des moines register as a kind of like a political cartoonist and uh he helped establish the federal duck stamp program uh and uh, just through his work as a political cartoonist, um, designing those duck stamps and, and, and uh, or sorry, uh, doing comics that pointed out major issues that we had from a conservation standpoint. But then right here in Oskaloosa, Iowa, John F. Lacey. That's Nobody, right. m- A lot of people don't talk about John F. Mm-hmm. Lacey, uh, but he was uh, kind of the, the, the lever That Teddy Roosevelt had from a legislative standpoint and he helped establish the Lacey Act of what was that 1903 something like that which essentially ended market hunting uh, the profitability of market hunting here in North America which saved a lot of our uh, species here in North America before they were wiped out Mm. Um, so you know yes we have this super modified landscape here in Iowa We've lost almost all of our prairie, uh, but we've also had a lot of great things in the state, too. And yeah. the the county conservation boards are another one yeah. of those examples. It, it really is
0: amazing, some of the people in history that have made an impact in conservation. And I think there are conservation heroes out there today mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that are doing really great things.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah definitely. Um,
0: so it, it's nice to see. We met
2: know. a guy... Who at this past weekend at Pheasant Fest, who uh, as a full time job, he just would buy land and plant prairie on it. And um, I believe he makes the living through doing CRP, uh, but maintains it. You, you know, mm-hmm. that spends a lot of money and a lot of effort maintaining it. And he's got over a few different states, he's got about 2,500 acres. Um, and you know, the amount of money he's giving up that he could make from corner beans or something like that, just willing, just wants more prairie on the land. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Mm. I
0: think it's taking a look at the future of Definitely. what can we preserve for everyone tomorrow?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, I have become fascinated with the woolly mammoths because it's a piece of our history, which we have not known much about that era of our history, yeah. and being able to preserve the bones and the knowledge we've gained that that's pretty interesting too
1: mm. yeah, yeah yeah, definitely um, before we get to the before we get to the main topic and it's hard mm-hmm. not to because we have these giant bones right behind us that are just super cool. Check Um, out our Instagram to see what uh, they look like. That's right. Yep. You can go on to uh, the Hoxie Native Seeds Instagram account and see Nick's footage of those bones. But um, uh, here, specifically at the Mahaska County Environmental Learning Center, just to do like a quick commercial, what kinds of things can people from this community uh, participate in here at the ELC?
0: okay so our environmental learning center is a relatively new building it's the where our offices are located for the director um, and even myself and our administrative assistant when you come in the front doors there are a wide variety of displays that touch on mahaska's history including way back to the uh, mammoths and uh, native american time Um, there's also information about how you can be a conservationist at home and be a steward to the land, Um, and even information about Iowa's wildlife and plant life and ecosystems. Um, There's also a discovery lab, which is where we're sitting here today. It's sort of like a a classroom slash nature room where you can interact with the education animals that we have here. Um, I have uh, programs that I hold for... School field trips, um, public programs that we host. We do a lot of homeschool classes. Um, My office is tucked away over here, too. And we just try to be a a good resource. We also have a downstairs area where we host larger programs. Um, But as far as what people in the community, you can come in and learn about Iowa's history and nature. Mm. And you look out all of the windows that we have here. There is a reestablished prairie right outside. The uh, Mahaska Recreation Trail that loops through Oskaloosa is connected to us. Um, There's great trails uh, for hiking here at the Caldwell Park where we're located. This golf course is now immersed through the prairie and woodland area. Uh, So there's a lot of recreation too. We also offer volunteer opportunities so if you would like to use the skills and interests that you have to help us in many ways such as with the education programs or if you want to help uh, greet people coming into the learning center um, if you want to help in our our park areas we're looking for um, park stewards now to say hey i live nearby our Quercus area and I would like to hike through there and and pick up any trash that we see or if there's storm damage I'll let you know if I see any trees down across the trail Um, just kind of vested personal interest in certain areas Um, and uh, so we have um, always looking for volunteers to come help us and so if you have an interest in the outdoors and Want to join join our team and helping all of our Mahaska areas? I tell you, it's, our county areas are fabulous. There is mm-hmm. such diversity that we have, and so there's a lot of areas we can send you off to if you want to go hiking or fishing or just sitting out in the in nature.
1: Yeah, that's that's an excellent description of it. And one of the things I like about this area, and this is actually a shout out to Nick's County. He's a, a neighboring county uh, resident, Marion County, and even into Warren County too. You're not in Marion County? Nope. I'm technically on the Mahaska side of the
2: border. Huh. Yeah, I just that's, that's, didn't why realize I, that's that. that's why I smell better. When we hired you, I thought okay.
1: no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm on the I'm on the Mahaska County side of the line myself, and uh, um uh but even Marion County Warren County uh there's a lot of uh wooded acres still in these counties through here and uh a lot of Iowa doesn't have that and and so uh like Laura was saying there's a lot of diversity around here still and a lot of, I think it speaks to just people willing to you know maybe sacrifice a few dollars to leave some of that timber standing and not just you know cutting it dozing it and and telling it and planning it you know they they let it stand and uh as a result we have some pretty diverse wildlife around here too so just a just a cool place here and again speaks to that testament of people valuing those things around here so uh definitely agree there well let's get into let's get into the meat and potatoes okay. here of of the conversation the mahaska county mammoths Uh, I think I'm going to kind of let you tell the story here just as far as like the discovery goes and then we'll uh, interject with some questions along the way. But what year did this all like start coming about?
0: It was back in 2010. Okay. And I remember that summer vividly because that's when I moved to Oskaloosa In late summer, there was a lot of rain highways were flooded and so that stuck out in my mind and that natural weather event helped a landowner discover these mammoth bones Hmm. um so there's a a local landowner um he's always asked that we keep his name private so we do and um but it's it's not far from oscaloosa and after the rains He and his sons were out looking in the creek area for arrowheads. Um, They enjoy doing that, probably looking for berries at that Mm. time of year also, berry picking. And they noticed that the rain had caused a washout and created like a little gully next to the creek. Looking down in there, they see this black round object, almost the size of a bowling ball. Mm. And it made them do a double take. Well, after, finally, um, they got it out of the dirt, they see that it's a bone, and from the ground, it's almost from the ground to chest high, (laughs) and it's the one that's behind you, the really big one. It's actually the femur, and over time, they they really wanted to know exactly what it is, so with the help of the Museum of Natural History at the University of Iowa, Mm -hmm. they eventually learned that it's a mammoth and as more exploration was done on the landowner's part and then the university pitched in um, and other volunteers and the conservation board was asked to be involved in the digging um, we said yeah that's a neat opportunity so we jumped right in and Uh, We learned that it's a woolly mammoth.
1: you got to do some of the digging yourself?
0: Wow. Yes. That would be a career highlight right off the bat. When I started working (laughs) for Mahaska County, I did not know that would be added to my list of experiences. (laughs) But I'm so glad it was um, from the people that I met and the knowledge that I've learned and something so unique Mm -hmm. about Iowa's history. But, uh, yeah, so one of our roles was helping coordinate volunteers, so we'd wind, find volunteers, individuals, families. We'd work with companies. Cargill had like a, a day for employees to come down and experience the dig. Really? Yeah. That's of, cool. Uh, yeah.
3: What was
2: the, what well, practically what is it like? Because you can't just put in a big old excavator. You know, you're in the.
0: <laughs> no, it it's careful work, but. It's not as detailed as if you are trying to dig around like human remains, I guess you okay. could say. So um, there was excavator work at to some point, and as soon as you see a bone, you stop. I mean, there's just, you might have to sacrifice something getting cracked or scratched. Just uh, um, because
1: otherwise it would be too painstakingly it long. Takes, there's
0: a lot of dirt. Sure. And I could show you photos of our, like, waste pile of dirt that's been <clears throat> sorted through where there's no bone fragments. Wow. Um, but mainly we would use shovels, and we would probe the, the dirt with, mm-hmm. it was like just a long ice pick and poke it in there. And if it hits something hard, you don't dig right there. The crazy thing is, the more that you poke around and you discover what's under there, you get the feel for it, and you can almost almost 100% tell the difference between a rock and a bone by the way it feels mm-hmm. and sounds. But we would flag areas where we would know there's something there, and then we'd have a team of people that had hand trowels and brushes, and they would take hand trowels and dig through it until they got to the bones And they wouldn't take the bones out right away. We would dig out all the way around it so that the bones were almost on a pedestal. We would take photographs and document its location, what kind of bone it looks like. Um, Sometimes it was hard to tell if it was just a fragment, but pretty much we could tell what it was. And then after all of that was done, the volunteer would be able to take it out and have their photograph taken, and we would then get it cleaned and put in storage and Hmm. but it was a a fun experience even for the volunteers just knowing you are the first person to touch this bone from the time it died yes it's it's just incredible it's been underground that whole time the fascinating thing about these are that they are not fossilized Mm. They are actual bone that survived this long. Um, A big reason why they're so well preserved is in a big area that we were digging, there's a natural spring underground. And so when there is water coming up from below and keeps the bones moist, oxygen cannot get to the bones and Mm. and it preserves. If you find a skeleton in ice, that's, probably the best preservation. Water mm-hmm. is another high quality of way of preserving bones over time. So really? a lot of I feel of like
2: them, water, I guess with metal water, just will like corrode it to nothing.
0: Right. But this is, these have been underground. They're packed around with the soil and mm. kept moist. They don't dry out. If they dry out a lot, they'll crack and they'll become very brittle. Some areas, there were some fragmented bones and that were brittle. Hmm. Uh, we'd have to put plaster around those to hold their form. Um, But we found many, many bones and many pieces of bones. The interesting thing about this area in the dig is that a mammoth just didn't lay down and die. So you would find one bone connected to the next bone, as you would expect. They're scattered everywhere. Mm. It's such Mm. a puzzle. You know, people did not document what happened on that day in history like yeah, we do I today yeah. so it's a guess. and as many experts that have been to the area no one is sure what happened to the mammoths how they died or why they are positioned the way they are um but it's this site has proven to be a very very unique site for a few reasons one is that there are ma- multiple mammoths found there mm. so i got my little Info here based on the teeth um, We have three individuals and they're all older adults based on studying the teeth there are two males and a female so um, They had samples taken and sent of each tooth and sent to a lab to have it analyzed so Mm. they can radiocarbon date scientifically Mm -hmm. what they believe how old they are
2: Mm.
0: and so
2: what did they say for age?
0: Well, um radi- radiocarbon dating that they're 17,000 year old years old, so they're about 15,000 BC, wow. which is just a couple thousand short of the end of the mm-hmm. ice age or the Pleistocene. Yeah. Mm. when they were to have lived.
2: I mean, that means that they I feel like a bunch of the fossils we or I guess bone and subfossils that we get from the Pleistocene age are not um I I mean I just have an assumption that they're all from the very end, you know, because mm, a lot of those point. species went extinct very quickly, um, and so I just. But then these were two thousand years. Well, no, it was twelve thousand years ago. Okay. These would have been four or five thousand years yeah. before the end.
0: Before the end, but wow. the uh, the time you now these were determined to be woolly mammoths, and looking at the the chewing surface of the mammoth, they determine that um, the species based on the type of grooves it has and the distance in the of the grooves.
1: That, and that's versus uh Jeffersonian right mammoth. Right. Or well, even well, a well, mastodon. Yeah. Oh sure. You can yep. Yep.
0: very evidently tell difference. So they <clears throat> we were originally thinking it might be a Colombian mammoth. Okay. Okay, because those yeah. have been found in neighboring states. Really? But really
2: those are the huge Knowing ones, that right? Those this, are the monster yeah, ones. Yeah, those are further south. Yeah, mostly. they're
0: they're bigger, much mm. bigger. And so, finding that they are woolly mammoths and that there are multiple individuals that died in one area, and by the 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 tooth analysis, there wasn't much time between their deaths. It wasn't like mm. a one event thing, but something happened so they had been living here um so that is one reason why that there it's a unique site also that all of these individuals died in this area and they didn't their bones didn't travel far by flow of heavy water Mm -hmm. for example to scatter them because there are really heavy bones like the
1: uh yeah the femur the femur let's kind of describe (laughs) that i mean you can see it on our instagram account but Let's say it's what, maybe at least four feet in length. Yeah. And
0: I bet it weighs like eighty pounds.
1: Wow. Really? Imagine what that thing weighed when it was you know, filled with (laughs) marrow and a soggy wet hay bale.
0: Square hay bale, that's what it feels (laughs) like. well and then um there were also tiny fragments close by these really heavy bones so we know that water didn't carry the lightweight things away and Mm -hmm. leave the heavy ones behind they're all mixed together
2: so any chance they were eaten
0: um like
2: attacked and hunted and eaten and then by
0: people there's no evidence of no cut marks. No cut marks like on the no bones. Like dire wolf or. No. <laughs> we didn't find any other Ice Age animal mixed in there, too. We were really mm. hoping, but that would be did cool. not find any where we were digging. Um, but there were a few bones that you can tell on the scrapes that they had been chewed on after death.
1: So scavenging took place. Right.
0: You know, them. just like a coyote would find a deer sure. skeleton yep and chew on it. It Man, might have been makes a. Makes you wonder well, what it was. You know it. it. Yes. Of course, <laughs> Ice Age animals were larger than yeah. what they are today, so could have been a big wolf that chewed on it. Man, there that's was, so
1: fun to think about. What on earth? I know, came across that. And there was a. On it.
0: There's also a bone um, that has a hole in it, so it looked like something had chewed on it and gone down it, inside to get oh, the marrow.
3: Oh yeah.
0: So it's uh, you know post death is evidence.
2: Have you ever spoken with uh, um, Dr. Julie Meachin No. over at uh, Des Moines University? So she's uh, a professor of some sort of anatomy.
1: Another reason you should go back and listen to the series. Yeah. If you haven't yet, you'll hear her on there. Yeah. And,
2: and, and her full episode will also be released either shortly before this one or shortly after. But she is very knowledgeable about uh, um, past. And she's, she, they go out to a dig site every single year. Um like Miami. a giant sinkhole where Or is it's like a cavern. Yeah. At the back
1: of a at the back of a cave.
2: And these uh you know these megafauna would just fall down this sinkhole and either die on impact or they would uh
1: Yeah, it's like an eighty foot drop, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And they there's evidence that like like Nick was saying, a dire wolf would be chasing, you know, some uh, some deer species, or a, a dire a, a deer, horse, we'll call them. a horse spirit, <laughs> a, a horse species of, or you know, some kind of prey species that would chase them. They'd run into that cave as a last option to try and get away, not knowing there's this huge pit at the end. So the and they prey would, both would go in, yeah, yeah and yeah. then the the predator would fall in after, it, and then they you know find them both down there. I their think bones.
2: she said that, like the. The animal that had the most evidence that they survived after fall were saber-toothed cats, I think. Some uh, sort of cat.
1: I, I don't know. I, I don't, th- yeah, I don't think there was much evidence of anything surviving. No, I th-
2: she said that there were some that had like broken bones and that, but they like
1: wandered
3: around. Yeah, they wanted, they would just oh, like wander okay.
2: around with their broken bones, not able to get out, and then they would die. But it was almost always a cat. Mm, that's mm. interesting. So they've yeah. always landed.
3: And
1: they do have nine lives. They've been doing it for thousands of years. <laughs> in a pit,
0: you run out of lives. That's right. You spaz- just run out of them <laughs> when you're in a pit. <laughs> oh,
1: no, man. that's that's fascinating. No though. predators yeah. found
0: then. No, no man, predators. that's so weird. You wonder, too, yes.
1: like that spring, that natural spring, you yes. know. Uh, I think if I remember back to when I was teaching earth science, uh A spring is considered whenever the water table makes it above the surface of the earth. And so, I mean, theoretically, that could be there for pretty much forever, you know.
0: And you know what's interesting is we have dug enough out of there that we almost created, well, we did create a flat wall. That showed um, a cross section of the layers of the earth. Mm. And mm. so there were, we could see the the top soil, we could see layers of clay, um, there were layers of like tree roots mm. way down and with no trees above it. They were there was all just of a really yes, old trees. Really so, old. So
1: almost possibly extinct species of, of trees down well, there at that level, the, um,
0: maybe? We did come across way underground it was probably several feet under um it was a i believe a cedar tree Hmm. and we did have that radiocarbon dated because right under the roots of it was a skull wow and it had a tooth attached to it so that was one of the first things it was a mammoth skull it was a mammoth skull whoa and so we first radiocarbon dated the tree right above it to find out that age to get a estimate of how old the, the mammoth skull was. How old was the tree? I think it was all in about the same as the okay. teeth, maybe. Tens of thousands it was, Well, of I think that was I didn't was know if you more... were like, oh,
2: 1912.
0: <laughs> no, no. No, it was much older. It was Man. Ice Age time. And so the soil can tell us a lot. We could, yeah, see all these different layers. And there was one layer, speaking of the spring... It was the softest sand, just a real thin layer yeah. that had to have had just very, very still or very slow-moving water on it. And that was one of the layers we looked for to know we're getting close to bones. And we could even see in the cross-section of the soil where the, st- the stream had changed locations. Hmm. So, yeah, it's been there a long time, but it has also moved. Just like our rivers move today, rivers and and creeks. They're constantly moving.
1: That's fascinating. Yeah,
0: it really is.
1: So, you had three three individuals. Um, We know there's a spring there, buried at different depths. No clear indication for how they they got there though It just makes you wonder if that if that spring was something that you know lured animals in at one time i mean c- certainly it did to some extent where if it was around if the, if the spring yeah. was, was still there at the time you know there's yeah. a source of fresh water especially in like maybe winter time or something like that when a lot of other surface water's frozen over and it's a little bit more limited on a watering hole but but um yeah that is that is I love that there's a mystery there. I love that we can't it, know. It
0: is a big mystery, and that's the fun thing about science. You can come up with your own theory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Somebody else might have another good one. What? And it's fun when I talk to kids in, in school about this. What is your theory? Yeah. What, do you, what do you think the reason is? I mean, I've, I yeah, had one student say, well, if they're like our mammoths today, they're very bonded to each other. Maybe one fell in and couldn't get out of the mud in that spring, and the other stayed with mm, it, yeah. kept it company, mm. and they all died. Put it in the I context mean, of yeah. what they can see yeah, with yeah. elephants, and yeah, in context That's with fascinating.
2: elephants. Well, so I was curious, like gun to your head, you had to give a guess on what uh, what you think happened. What do you, What do you think happened? Wait, before you go, because yours is way more educated. <laughs> uh, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what do you think happened?
1: yes uh Laura knows way more on this than I do but i'll I'll take a stab at it i would say if w- if you could know which i mean i don't i don't know that you could know this for certain, but if you could know that that spring had been there as long as those mammoths were, I would say that it was probably a, a you know a frequented watering hole not just for them but other animals in in the area at the time and and um uh, how many years apart are the are the mammoths believed to be? That do you, do you remember?
0: Well, let's see.
1: Well, is it like exactly is it sure like how, like a it, decade apart, or more it, no. like a century or millennium apart?
0: Let's see. I have it here because it, does, it, it doesn't say for sure, but they just said they are they're very close. Hmm. Um, and in this data that I have and the description of what it all means, it says that we thought the different dates would settle the issue Mm -hmm. of, you know, how old they are. But in this case, the teeth are very close. So, so so it's just an open issue that nobody,
1: nobody really knows for sure.
0: You know, as far as close to the time that it's, um, they're relatively close in age mm-hmm. or as when they died.
1: So, yeah, I mean, if, if it's like, you know, if they're within, you know, super close timing, like within a year or something like that, then, you know, it, it was either a, you know, kind of a bad luck event. Like, who knows, maybe there was a, you know, some kind of impact somewhere or probably not that though. We'd have evidence of that, more evidence of that in the area in the fossil record. Um, but probably more likely a disease or, um, uh, you know, uh, could be, and, and maybe just there wasn't enough fossil evidence on the right key pieces to show that maybe it was a predation event by humans. Um, you know, maybe, although uh, I think those dates come pretty close to predating human presence in North America, don't they? Uh,
0: uh, there is evidence of people hunting mammoths, so yeah, yeah. And but in this I mean area, like, uh, this area, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think
1: I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Clovis is is believed to be the oldest era Clovis hunters, and I think that's like around that fifteen thousand year time. But I, I It'd might be, be pretty wrong. close. Yeah. So yeah. so
2: so you think disease or? I think
1: probably if it, they're very close together in unlucky. In age, yeah I'd, I'd say probably more likely disease just because an unlucky event like which who knows maybe it's, you know if they did all die together it could be a lightning strike you know sometimes mm-hmm. you see those pictures where cows are all bunched up underneath a of a tree and there there's a lot of exposed roots on the tree and the tree gets struck and current travels through the root system into the cows or something you know could be something like that maybe i don't know but but I would say probably disease if they're really close together. If not, then maybe it's just a common place. You know, I I love hunting deer. You know, you get a bad hit on a deer with your bow, where do you go look? You know, if you can't, if the blood trail goes dry, you go look by water, you know. And I I imagine, you know, if you're a sick old mammoth or injured or something like that, you know, same rule kind of applies. And and I think a lot of times too is when we look at this stuff we're looking at in the context of there's three mammoths, you know but in reality there'd be animals all over the place just like there are today you know if we found if if 15,000 years from now they find uh three deer skeletons you know it would be easy to say oh what happened to those three deer but in reality you know one could have gotten hit by a car another one you know a year later uh got taken out by coyotes and one a year later you know had ehd or something like that yeah hmm. so
0: but like you said there's just not enough information yeah. it's just all speculation it, right it very well could be disease it could be predation but it's mm-hmm. just not showing um it could be a natural event it's it's just really hard to tell but the fact is that they're there mm-hmm. there is a story to be told about our history yeah um, a lot of times we talk about Old history of Iowa we go back to the time of when Native Americans lived here mm-hmm. and colonization all that but this is way before that right. and it's almost mind-boggling but fascinating at the same time to give another perspective of what Iowa used to be like back then we did soil sampling sampling we did a, a core dig mm-hmm. um, and took out the sample and it was evaluated and you know what was found there?
1: What's that?
0: Evidence of fir spruce and larch. Wow. Of boreal forest. That is so cool. So it's believed that the boreal forest that we'd find up in Canada, northern United mm-hmm. States, stretched way down here. That is so cool. And about.
1: I mean just what a different landscape. It was.
0: And was it's believed the best we can understand, you know, with all these different types of Pleistocene mega animals that lived here. Um, They would need a wide variety of different food sources, Mm. whether Mm. if it's vegetation from trees, which mammoths could have done, or even mastodons, or the giant sloth. Mm -hmm. There was a sloth found in southwest Iowa, Wow! actually more than one. Um, And then some of them would have needed grasslands, some of them, just a wide variety of habitats for them to live in so it's believed that iowa was a big mixture of Mm -hmm. all of these different types of environments and so the boreal forest would have just been a part of it of course we had the glacier too Mm -hmm. can't forget that's a big part of iowa and -hmm. that is why the landscape in the northern central part of iowa is so flat all the way down to des moines this huge sheet of ice the glacier was called the des moines lobe right yeah and so all of these animals would have lived off of the glacier. So from where our distance in Mahaska County is to Des Moines, that's just a great distance to live yeah. off of the glacier. And I'm sure there was glacier melt that came down mm-hmm. at times. Yeah. Um,
2: I wonder because f- the forest has, has moved its way north, right? And I wonder if um, there... And I don't know, it, you might know the answer to this, or someone might, but uh, if when there was a glacier, there was maybe, you know, a couple hundred miles past the glacier, there was forest, and as the glacier receded, the forest just kind of receded with it. Um, because it... Uh, what are those called again? The the transition periods, or p- uh, places and... Uh, like transitional
1: zones. Yeah. 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 yeah,
2: and I wonder if, if forest was like a mega transition between uh, a well, glacier. And what,
1: and, what's interesting about that. So, you know, of course being the Prairie farm podcast, Prairie is the main thing we talk about. Uh, uh, Nick has talked about this many times with me. Um, uh, if Prairie is left alone and no fire is ever put to it and it's not managed at all. I think Russell Kurt talked about this too. Maybe somebody did, maybe it was uh Chris Helzer or something but prairie will turn into forest in a lot of places yeah. you know like trees will just start to to take over and then they cut out the sunlight for those those shorter plants and you know they go dormant and and a ta- tabitha pan talked about this on her episode where she talked about when they would remove cedar trees and then prairie dormant prairie would come sprouting back up now that it wasn't shaded but in this case it's almost a reverse you know it's like you have this microclimate from a giant ice sheet that's you know sucking all this heat out of the air the way that you know that's the second law of thermodynamics heat goes to a cooler uh heat goes from hotter to cooler so if you have this it's just like a big ice pack in your cooler that's to take all that hot air surrounding your sandwich and pulling it towards that ice it's going to regulate that much ice is going to regulate the climate for this area but then as nick was talking about as that ice melts back that microclimate it created for those tree species that laura's talking about those conditions are now gone you got to think that a lot of those trees would just start to die because you know they're out and not reproduce as well and uh you know maybe as they died and a couple prairie fires started to happen or uh you know human activity with clearing the land and combined with all those things i imagine it probably started to clear it off and then set the stage for for a prairie and then plus you know to you know soil moved around and stuff like that and cuz obviously you had to dig to find these things mm-hmm. so they're way down there um it's just yeah that is a great point that you brought up though nick i never thought of it that way that's that's get less sleep more often
2: no man (laughs) long day
0: sorry i interrupted you in the middle there conversation
1: no yeah i think it's really good and i think laura brings up a great point and just things were so different uh at that time and and you know leading us to those days where um you know most people think of the buffalo and the elk and the you know the pioneers coming in on their covered wagons and stuff like that they think of that as Iowa's history but it's if you go back far enough, it's very, very different than than, yeah. than that, even. So, yeah, great, great point. So, uh, how long did the whole excavation process, like, how long were you guys working on on it before you finally, like, all right, I think we found everything yeah. we're going to find and we got to get this landowner It was hard back. to stop. <laughs> I bet.
0: Well, because of our location, we ended up getting closer and closer to the current creek, what that was right there. Mm hmm and we just stopped finding bones it was just harder and harder to find anything and the only way that we could it was probably about 2014 15 i'd have to look exactly but um wow five
2: years four to five years about
0: four years or so we were we worked on it yeah all on just the summer times or as long as we could due to weather um for I bet spring that was fun. i bet that was fun to yeah. look forward to every year it's, it was, kind of, it's almost it was, season it was yeah exactly so um yeah so i lost my train of thought so
1: sorry <laughs> no, no, you were saying it took about four yeah. to five years and, four to
0: five years yeah oh and then we just stopped finding bones and the only way that we could find more was to do excavation work deeper into the hillside mm. the opposite way we had been digging. And so that takes money. Mm-hmm. To run an excavator um yeah. and time. And we just thought, well, we're going to stop where we are now. I wouldn't be surprised if the landowner's gone back out and tried again. So the really nice thing that the landowner did for the local community and he talked to me about it and our conservation board from the beginning that all these bones we're finding, he wants to make sure that the community learns about Iowa's history Mm. and about the woolly mammoths. And so um, we applied for the McQuiston trust here in Oskaloosa and were able to purchase the bones from the landowner to put here at the Environmental Learning Center. So we now use special bones for education purposes, but we have majority of them on display um, on a rotating basis. So the people can come out here and see what these mammoth bones were like and and learn all about them. Mm. And so I'm glad for his generosity to, to think of the community that way
1: definitely that's that's really cool when people step up and see the value beyond just my bones Yeah, nobody gets to see him and
0: And he he gave a lot too to invite people on his land and Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to dig and so it's appreciated
1: yeah yeah such a fascinating story Uh, the first time i heard about it my grandpa told me one time when i was visiting and he didn't know much more and then You know, when I met Laura, I think is when I really found out the details on it. And it's just fascinating to to learn all that. But uh, there's a 3D model coming soon to the Environmental Learning Center uh, that's a complete, you know, reproduction of full two scale mammoth, right?
0: That is right. It's not the bones that we found, but a complete skeletal replica
3: Mm, that's that's being
0: manufactured, constructed made to look like the real bones um, down in Missouri at a company called Elamoose, And we get photographs now and then of their progress. So right now it looks like the estimated completion date before they ship it to us will be June. Oh, wow. So that's pretty soon. It's coming. It's coming. So we're doing some prep work in our display area of trying to, Plan a really neat area for this mammoth skeleton to be installed and put in. So you're going to walk in the front door, turn left, and this huge skeleton from floor to ceiling will be looking at you with its big tusks.
3: Man, that's so so cool. That's
0: really, really
2: cool. I don't don't know if you listen to any of our past episodes, but uh, Kent... Found a company that claims they will bring mammoths back to life within four years. Have you oh. heard anything about that? I've
0: heard a little bit about it.
2: Huh?
1: Yeah, I think that I think the company is based out of Dallas, if I remember correctly, from the article I read. But and, yeah, they're wanting to wanting to bring them back through cloning.
2: And we decided they for sure are like a James Bond villain company. <laughs> There's no way they're not. But uh, yeah, it, my second question
1: quite the accusation nick
2: i don't know i mean they're probably <laughs> nice people i I'm i just glad want they're...
1: mammoths back yeah
2: <laughs> <laughs> i guess they do what taylor king does but Envi- just with mammoths.
1: environmental consequences you know uh, uh no nothing to worry about there i guess <laughs> but oh man no it it's it's fascinating to discuss these things and for some reason the woolly mammoth has so much charisma compared to a lot of the other critters and and yeah. you know if we we've talked about a few of them here, but there's so many of them that were around at one time, and and uh, that are totally gone now. So even if you brought back the mammoth, there's still a, a million other animals that would have been walk, not literally a million, but a lot of other uh, species that would have been walking the same ground as the mammoth that aren't here anymore. And that kind of leads me to uh, kind of our last point here, Laura. You know, taking everything we talked about today, even from the beginning of the conversation, with how Iowa is such a unique place from a conservation standpoint, in that we've we've done a lot of things wrong in Iowa. We've we've ruined a lot of native habitat, and uh, you know, ruined native you know native ecosystems. Really, I mean, almost every part of it gone now. In some cases, um, not in all, but in some yet there's a lot of people here that want to do better and want to bring back what should be here. As you look towards the future here in Iowa, you know, if somebody was having a similar conversation in the same spot, 100 years from now, what, what, you know, what do you kind of think from an optimistic standpoint, how things could look, what do you hope for? What are your thoughts on that for the future from a natural standpoint here in Iowa?
0: I think that people will value what we have preserved, whether if it's individual landowners, our state parks, our county parks, Um, even back during the pandemic time, people just... Immersed into our county areas, Mm. wanting to do outdoor activities. Um, And it's just a part of human nature that wants to do that. I think Mm -hmm. we'll always have it. Um, I hope as our conservation board develops over the years and our education program grows that we can really do our part in connecting people with nature Mm -hmm. Um, and with other and, and team up with other organizations, whether it's pheasants Forever, Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation, you know with with your business that you have. Um, you know these groups working together to to help connect people to the outdoors. I, I think in the long distance, I can still see all of our areas here um, hopefully, It'll just become like a just a hot spot for people to connect with the outdoors if they mm. don't have it in their backyard, not sure where to go, use this as a resource so yeah. you know i i I'm just blessed that we're we're here and can manage these areas for future generations,
1: yeah, yeah, well said hopefully uh uh we'll see more prairie on the ground, hopefully we'll see more trees that are left standing and and uh land use that's responsible and and uh you know farmers that are supported the right way and and uh um, people that live in even urban areas really engaged in interacting with it and i think what you said about preservation is so critical to that um, clear at the beginning of the conversation laura talked about this point of doing things intentionally for the future generation and if we do then these things will still be here and hopefully even more of them and more space for people to interact and, and take part in nature and reconnect because you're right. People have that natural draw to it. And uh, I think it's so important that that's fostered. So very well said uh laura thank you so much for joining us on this episode thank you i uh, enjoyed it yeah yeah this is a lot of fun it's good catching up with you again yes. and coming back to the elc and seeing things around here and uh if you're listening in make sure uh it's getting to be that uh time of year where uh you're uh running out of time to be getting uh, prairie planted before doing a dormant seeding this fall so head over to the prairie Wait, sun.
2: wait wait when people are listening to this we're talking may or june
1: that's what I'm saying. It's run. They're running out of time to be planting for oh, prairie.
2: Yeah. No. May or June. That's perfect time.
1: Well, if the uh,
2: if the docu, we got a lot of episodes. Yeah, today that's this- true. Sorry, guys. That's, We're why, that's why I
1: said I said running out of. You haven't oh, ran out of.
2: Oh, yeah. No. You guys, you got a little bit of time left. It's perfect time, guys. I'm <laughs> yeah. tired today. I'm but, sorry. <laughs> but you can
1: still put in your order for your fall shipment of. Uh, backyard pollinator if you do run out of time
2: yeah and if you book it early for the fall you get it at that price no matter what because often our price goes up
1: yeah yep so uh you can start the prep work figure out where you want to lay down some uh, good prairie seed or if you uh, got a crp uh contract that you got to renew here soon uh you know where to find us head over to hoxynativeseeds.com or theprairiefarm.com both places can help you you need a hunting mix or a dog training mix whatever food plot mix food pop food plot mix cover crops we got you covered we also have our uh, native seed drill as designed by our founder carol Hawksbergen. Uh, if you are uh, looking to uh, maybe do some contract planning for your neighbors or uh, you're listening in you uh, uh, are at a nrcs office and need a new drill or whatever uh, you can contact us about those as well uh, but until next time Remember, conservation happens one yard at a time.